This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Get a Casper mattress and get a great night's sleep. Try it for 100 nights risk-free. Go to casper.com slash Glenn and use the promo code Glenn. Get $50 towards the purchase of your mattress. Terms and conditions do apply. Hi, guys. Um, I think you guys are the first real people that we have let into the vault. And you can't come to the vault without some show and tell. So I have some really cool. May I sit it by you, David? Um, Some show and tell that I'll show you guys a bit later. But I just wanted to uh, I just wanted to get together kind of in a more intimate way, seeing that the world is pulling itself apart and everybody's going crazy, and maybe we can just have a chat on how are we going to bring each other back? How are we all coming together? How many people feel better than you did a month ago? Not not really enthusiastic. (laughs) Really, yeah. Um, That surprises me, because I feel kind of like that. I'm kind of like, yeah, going to give it a chance and see how it goes. I talked to a guy, um, he's a farmer, um, and uh, he was at the house over the, um, the holiday, and he said, uh, you know, I want to feel better, but I just feel like no matter who's in office, shoes are going to drop, and we're kind of like opening up a door, and you're like, oh crap, what did they stuff in that door? Um, is that how you feel, or is that... That's how you feel. You don't feel that way, Ron. I think, I think things. Oh, sorry. I think things are looking up. I'm very happy with the direction the country turned because I really believe that the people who uh, voted for Mr. Trump, President-elect Trump, uh, had a reason to do that, and uh, I'm I'm happy about that. Good. I think one other thing, if I could just say quickly, yeah. um, is that I believe that the, the key to this really is is based on religion, though, not on any sort of uh, things that we can do as people. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean that we have to have our, use our faith and trust in God to yeah. to lead us into what it is that He has for us next. It's funny. That's that's that was one of the things this farmer said to me. Oh. He said. Um, Everybody who I think is really, really spiritual, spiritually aware, he said, none of them felt like in prayer God had said, this is it. It was kind of like, eh, you know, nobody got a real clear feeling. And he said, that kind of makes, as we're talking, kind of makes me feel that it's really in his hands now. Nothing we can do can really change that, and our faith is going to have to pull us through. Anybody else feel that way? Yeah? Actually, Christopher? Hang on, we have a microphone over here. for Just pass that down. We're all playing share on the microphone. I'm at peace because uh, God's still on the throne. Yep. He's going to remain on the throne, yep. and, uh, and regardless of who's in there, it's his world, and and you know, even even the Egyptians in in Egypt, they uh, they they were under God's protection, yeah. even though they were under a bad ruler, and uh, and God saw them through. So, if He's a blessing for a nation, fantastic. But if He isn't, oh, God's wow. still on the throne, right? And He's going to watch over us. So. We, I I think, and this is the one thing I wish we could get the left to understand, is 
let's be honest for a second. How many of us thought the republic would be in this shape, and I mean that as like, wow, it's pretty good, in this shape by the end of the second term of Barack Obama? Did anybody think it would be here? Right? So... I didn't feel that way. Now I'm hearing, I mean, it's driving me crazy. I'm hearing people on the left say, oh, well, you know, our rights are starting to disappear. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And we, you know, geez, we got to get our country back. I want to say, from whom? (laughs) Oh, my gosh, I can't take the duplicity on that. But I wish, I wish we could say to the people on the left, don't spend the next eight years like we just did. Oh, my gosh. So much angst. And, I mean, it's good to be vigilant. It's good to do the things that we did. It's good to learn. But, man, we're going to make it. God's on the throne. We're going to make it one way or another. It may not be fun, but we're going we're gonna to make it. How many people feel, or does anybody have a comment on what the press needs to learn? The truth, I know. You don't know if you could, you could start, but you don't know if you could stop. Is that what you just said? How much time? Yeah. Uh, I mean, where would we, where, what is it that they're missing? Because I'm, I'm, um, I've been trying to meet with the press. Um, Nightline is coming down next week, and sometime next week they're doing uh, uh, an hour or half hour. I hate to say it, I don't, I don't watch the show. I didn't know it was still on, but... Um, uh, and I, I want to... I'm trying to come up with the right message for the press. Um, although that's not the story they're looking for. That's the story I want to give them. Which is, I think... And maybe you guys can help me shape this. Stop looking at us. <laughs> Stop looking at... I mean, you you have to eventually come back and look at the center of the country, but stop looking at us and saying, "Uh, my gosh, what are they? Who are they? The first thing that you have to do is look at you and say, why is it half the country doesn't trust us? And it's not because of us. It's because you guys see the Chip and Joanna Gaines story that's going out? Yeah. Okay, so Chip and Joanna Gaines, they're the guys on HGTV that do the home show. I love those guys. I just love them. Um, and I think they're normal. I think they're nice. I think they're a great family. They see, I don't know, television. I mean, how many of you guys thought the vault was this, right? <laughs> um, so it's... It, television can lie to you a lot, right? Um, but I think those guys are genuine, and they don't seem like haters. And now BuzzFeed, Cosmo, they're saying because their pastor believes in a biblical view of marriage and homosexuality, and they're not commenting on it, they must be haters, and maybe HGTV's got a real problem on their hands. There's so many hoops that you have to jump through on that one that I can't take it. First of all, how many people like Ellen DeGeneres? Right? She's nice. She's funny. I mean, 
I don't hate her. I know her lifestyle. I think she's, isn't she married? Did she get married to the guy? So she got married. I don't care. I don't care. And I certainly don't hate her. Why is it that somebody like Chip and Joanna, who may be attending a church that actually believes the Bible is accurate or God's law, has to be a hater? That's the first one. We don't treat people like that. Why do we get treated this way? And the second one is, do you guys remember what the press said about Jeremiah Wright? And how, well, the president slept through all of those. I think he was, I think he was out in the parking lot and the monkey bars playing with the kids during that sermon. He didn't hear any of that. And that, those sermons were hate-filled. Hate-filled. Not reading from the scriptures. Hate-filled. The press has got, they've got to look at, that's why we don't trust them. You're taking Chip and Joanna and you're making them in, you're looking to make them into haters. Do I have that right? Or what am I, how do I, how do I shape that message? It doesn't fit their narrative, I think. Right? I don't think it fits their narrative. Uh, I, you know, you talked earlier, I was, I was thinking of polling. I've talked to friends of mine about polling. I'm like, which one of you guys follow polls? The house rings at my phone, it's a poll, I hang up. I don't know who's answering that call for that long. Right. So uh, that, that's why the polls were probably wrong, I'm assuming. I, I would tell you something. I had, a poll, I had a pollster call me for television ratings. <laughs> I said, I don't have time. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. If I'm saying that, what is the average person saying on a poll that doesn't affect you? You know, nobody's, nobody's doing that. But do you really think that it is... Um, that they all have an agenda. You do? Yes. yes. You think they all have it? You're, you're dying to say something. Go ahead, Deb. Well, the, the original question was, not the original, but you said, how many like Ellen DeGeneres? Some folks raised their hand. How many don't like her? Maybe you didn't even ask, I didn't. don't. But couldn't it just be, we don't have to like or dislike her, we just really don't have an opinion about her lifestyle? Yeah, yeah but that's why I didn't say who doesn't. I just don't say, okay. is there anybody here that doesn't like Ellen? I mean, right, okay. I mean, I don't, really, it, I mean, you don't you're, have it's, to you're like neutral. or dislike. You're just like, I don't care. But I think the issue is so deep and so wide, I don't think any of us are going to make change uh, I just think it's a lot more than just about the press or their agenda, or I think it has a lot to do with our culture and what's happening in our society. Will it cycle back and are things cyclical? Yes, but I don't think we've gone far enough down the road yet for it to cycle. You're, I don't, maybe not by the next election. Is it, it's not all about Trump or Obama, or I just think it's so wide and so deep and it's more culture change and, I just think it's a really, really big thing. We are, if anybody watched the pendulum, the first um, from the vault last night the, uh, on the pendulum, um, Roy Williams has written this whole theory out. And it sure seems right to me. And there are about five different books that uh, have looked at this from the economic cycle to the generational cycle um, to the, he did it through the advertising cycle. 
and found this 80-year this cycle that, when you think about it, 40 years in the wilderness, 40 days, 40 nights, 40 years, 40 always means something. And it takes 40 years to go up one side of the pendulum and back, and 40 years to go up and back. So it's an 80-year total round trip, but a 40-year cycle. We're now entering this cycle that the last time the world was in was in the 1930s and 40s. And then the last time before that, it was in the 1850s and 60s. And the last time before that, it was during the French and American Revolution. And it goes back. You can track it back 3,000 years. And it's dead on every time. And so we're in this cycle, and the zenith of the top of this particular nasty cycle, the top of it is 2024. That's the election two times from now. The top of it. And this side of the pendulum is, um, is known for not who you can bring together, but who you can isolate and say, we're, it's not about I'm this, it's we're not that. And that's really dangerous. And so that's why I've been trying to work so hard. And I think our audience, you know, I just, I'm hoping that the core of our audience that I've had with radio and television for so long can see the breadcrumbs that we've put out for so long and realize, remember, I've always said, this is going to be the audience that will save us from destruction And the way to save us from destruction is to be good, peaceful, decent people to each other. I read something, you you really want to party with me over the holidays. (laughs) I was reading about the Prague Spring of 68 over the holidays. Ah, that's fun. And uh, yeah, right? And um, uh, I learned a lot. Uh, does anybody remember the Prague Spring? Anybody know what it is? Stephen, what, it, what was it? Can you hand Stephen a microphone? Do you know enough about it to say, I kind of remember this? Because it's interesting. To, it would be interesting to see what people think that was. My recollection is that it was an early effort in several Eastern European countries to shake off the influence of the Soviet Union. And like the Hungarian 57 thing, it failed. Okay. But without tanks. Without tanks. Yes. Okay. Um, anybody have any more recollection of it than that? Okay. You're generally right. Um, so here's what happens. It's 1968. Um, they go through an election. And I don't remember if it's a prime minister or whatever they call the head of state. Um, but they elect a guy who's a very... Um, He's, it reminded me in some ways of uh, a more communist Gorbachev, okay? He wanted a glasnost. He's, he's like, you know, we should have freedom of press. We should have some of these freedoms. And really, we're Czechoslovakia. And so we're, we're, we're different. You know, let's, let's not, we're not the Soviet Union. We're, we're part of that, sure, but we're not Moscow, and um, so he, he wins in 68, January of 68. And he starts to put some things in. And the first thing he does is freedom of press. And by August of 68, the head of the Soviet television 
the broadcast company, tests it and says, you know, since we have freedom of press, let me tell you, because his reforms would really be great, but you know why they're not coming faster? Is because this guy, this guy, and this guy are really kind of Soviet agents, and uh, they're stopping everything. Well, Moscow doesn't like that. And so Moscow rears its head up and says, it's time for this to end. And they send in, they do send in the tanks. They don't, they don't shoot anybody, but they start sending in the military and the tanks in, into Prague. And here's where it gets interesting and where I think the lesson comes to us. Because what happened in August of 1968, in the spring, Prague Spring, as they call it, led to the peaceful transition of power outside of the Soviet Union to, for Prague in, what was it, 89. They had to wait, but those seeds that were planted were really critically important. And I'll tell you about them when we come back. So where'd we leave the Prague story? ADD. Planted the seeds. Okay, so he planted the seeds. So, so what happened in August of 68? Um, it could have been a bloodbath because the people wanted reform. Um, and the tanks came in. But the leadership, the reform leadership said, be good. Don't grab, don't, don't, they're coming with tanks and soldiers. And I think a maximum on both sides, maybe 200 people died, which is nothing when Soviet tanks roll in. Um, and, and all they did was mischief. All they did was they changed all the street signs. Uh, so the tanks had no idea where they were. Uh, they, you know, made, you know, Prague this direction, that direction. I mean, and so they were just, they were lost. Nobody fought them, and everybody was cool. And um, because of that, it didn't turn into a hot war. And Moscow actually called the the leader up and said, "Hey, why don't you come and talk to us?" And then you know, basically said, "Hey, we love what you're doing, but you're going to stop, and you can go home, or." you can continue to do what you want to do and we'll kill you before you get on the plane. And he said, I like the first idea. Um, and he came back and there was some minor changes, but there, w- there was progress and it didn't end up in a bloodbath. And I, I thought to myself, because later when it collapsed, the, one of the reasons why the people didn't fly into chaos, if you remember, this is... Was that Yugoslavia or was it Czechoslovakia where the guy comes out on the balcony? I'm trying to remember. Remember the guy who comes out on the balcony and um, he's giving a big speech, the leader? I think it was Czechoslovakia. I can't remember. But one of these, the leader comes out and he's used to everybody saying yay at everything he says. And uh, all the people are in the square and he comes out on the balcony and he starts giving his thing, 
And uh, a woman, an old woman down in the crowd says basically bullcrap and dead silence. And nobody had ever said that to him before. And he looked at her and then somebody else said, yeah, she's right. And then all through the crowd, it started to ripple and he, and you can see the film of it. It's amazing. And he starts backing up on the balcony and he grabs his wife and they go back in and he's about to say, you know what? Release the hounds. And military turns on him that fast and they're with the people and they take him. They try him, he's executed, but it wasn't a bloodbath. And that's how, I mean, they got their freedom back just from people just going, no, I don't think so. So anyway, I don't know why I told you the story, but (laughs) yeah, I think there's, there's something to be said about what we plant today and what we do today and how we try to come back together because the pendulum isn't done swinging this way. And I'm fascinated by patterns. And the pattern of 2000 was to say, selected, not elected. He's not my president. Um, He's a war criminal. I mean, it just got worse and worse and worse. You know, he hates black people. And we didn't listen to each other. And we were torn apart. And then in 08, I mean, think of, was anybody else bothered by Barack Obama not wearing a flag lapel pin at the very beginning, right? And what did that say to you? He doesn't love the country, country, right? That's what it felt like, doesn't love the country. I think we caused a little of that. And it's the reason why you will look at all of my sets and only one of my book, um, you will never find the American flag on it. Because back in 2003, I think, three or four, I, I noticed you either wore a la, la, flag lapel pin or you were an enemy. You Everything was red, white, and blue. And Uncle Sam scares me. I mean... Uncle Sam, he's wearing prison pants. He's wearing straight pants. That should be a tip-off. And it scares me when we wrap ourselves in the flag because the flag doesn't mean anything but the values that we assign to it. You know what I mean? This document means something because I can read it. The red, white, and blue only means the values that I assign to it. Um... And we went and wrapped our values, Patriot Act, the Patriot Act, around the flag. And it was red, white, and blue. And it was chants of USA, USA, USA. And we pushed that pendulum so far to the, to the jingoism and the, you know, you're either with us or against us, that it had to swing back to somebody who was like, I'm not wearing that. And it swung back so far that it did swing to a guy who was like, I don't even like it that much. 
You guys love your country? I don't even really like it that much. Wow. Now, we had a guy who was on prompter, on script, on saying everything just exactly right with Barack Obama. And I remember saying in 2007, if this guy is elected, the next guy is going to be big and fat and have a gravy stain right here and go and belch and go, yep, that's the way it is. Right? You remember that? Well, he's not big and fat. That's Chris Christie. I thought we were going to get Chris Christie. (laughs) Donald Trump is a guy who just lets him rip and just is like, yep, and that's the way I say it. And we like it. We've swung the pendulum back. The left went so far, they swung it here. So it's going to swing back. What's on this side? We have to try to grab the pendulum and pull it back down to the center. And I don't think we're going to be able to do it with politics. We're going to have to do it with each other, possibly the press, but I don't think the press will do it. And just get out of our space that we're comfortable with and talk to someone who's not like us and not try to change their mind, except in this. You know what? We don't agree on anything, and yet you're not a monster, and you don't think I'm a monster. Huh. So we don't hate each other for the next four years or eight years, because I don't know... How, what, I don't know what happens when it swings back this time. It's getting spooky. It's getting really spooky. Back in a minute. It's bad. Chris. Yes. Tell me, you were, you're, you are in aviation? Yes, yeah, I'm in aviation. But uh, you were talking about grabbing the pendulum and, you know, kind of slowing it down and, and all that. And, uh, and, and you, you said you were afraid that before you said you were afraid somebody would grab the pendulum. When it was mm-hmm. swinging so far, that's when it grabbed you were afraid of that guy that would they actually will. do that. At some point, they yeah. will. It's historic. But, uh, and I said, do we really know what we're doing? Even in, in climate change, seeding clouds, trying to do all this stuff to try and control the climate. We don't know what we're doing. No. And there's a thing in aviation called Dutch roll, and it's on all swept wing aircraft to where the plane will start to slide one way and the pilot will instinctively kick it. But what it's going to do is slide the other way. And when he kicks the rudder, he actually amplifies it. And then he tries to kick it the other way to try and stop it and it keeps going back and forth until it actually floats around and and it's caused a lot of crashes and we have a yawn damper on the aircraft because it's the only thing that can adjust it fast enough to get this thing rock solid and you know i kind of liken that to you know we're going to grab the pendulum we're going to swing you know these things are in god's hands and the climate as well i i don't i'm not talking about being irresponsible but we're going to take major changes to try and correct this stuff you know, and yeah, I don't. I um, let me tell you. I've, I've been reading this book. Everybody has to read this book, um, "Currency Wars," by James Rickards. Um, I am only. I, I mean, I, I can read books pretty quickly. I'm about here on this book, and I've been reading it for two weeks. And the reason why is because I've been reading it with Google next to me. Because I'll read something, and I'll be like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Wait a minute, what?" And I'll look it up. And so, I mean, it's a wormhole book. It's one of those books. Um, 
this is what scares me, and I'm not prepared really to talk about that. I'm going to be doing probably at the beginning of next year a series of shows on explaining what's happened in history. Um, um, I really think, if I said to you, if I said to you, was what happened in the Weimar Republic with hyperinflation good or bad? And is there anybody here that would say it was good? I think the central banks, there are people in central banks that would say, yeah, I mean, it was bad, had some broken eggs, but it's actually kind of good. Because they were able to adjust the debt, they were able to rebalance the monetary system. You know, France was out of whack, England was out of whack, everything was out of whack. So, yeah, when they did that, sure, it hurt some people, but in the long run, it was good. And if you see the pattern of the central banks and you see the pattern of trade wars, you know, right now, President-elect Trump has been talking about two things, and this is what people have to understand. He's been saying, China, I'm going to talk to China because they're the world's largest money or currency manipulator, right? Have you heard him say that? Are they the largest uh, currency manipulator? Who is, John? We are. We are. We are. We have printed so much money. Now, why would you print? Why do you print money? Because I've only looked at this from one side. Why do you print money? You print money so you can give it to the banks and so people can have it and they can spend money, right? That's not the only reason. In fact, that's not the biggest reason. The biggest reason is to devalue your currency. So your currency is worth less. So when the rest of the world wants to buy an American product, they want to buy an American car? How many people, when currencies go down the crapper, how many of us will go to Mexico and go, it is fantastic. You do, everything is half Price. I used to live by the Canadian border. When their currency was crap, it was great. You'd go and buy stuff in Canada and bring it home. You want the world to buy your stuff. You want currency that's pretty crappy. It's one of the reasons why Mexico, we buy so much from Mexico and China, it's because their currency is so devalued. Okay? What have we been doing? By printing, we're devaluing our currency which makes it easy for people to buy American products, which, in turn, they believe causes jobs to be created. But unfortunately, as we devalue our currency, it hurts their sales and their jobs. And so as, you, as one country devalues their currency, the other countries start to say, well, we're going to devalue ours. Has anybody seen the rest of the world starting to print money and devalue and take out massive debts? They're doing the same thing to try to rebalance. And then the next step is one country says, well, you know what? You are devaluing your currency and you're, you're taking jobs from us. So we're going to put a tariff up. And then the next country to try to rebalance things 
says, well, you've put a tariff up, then I'm going to charge 20% on you. Then the whole world starts putting up uh, tariffs. The whole world spins out, and pretty soon the plane is spinning in the air and it goes out. But here's what you have to understand. If you look at the last 100 years, if you look at the central banks over the 100 years, they're moving, they're playing a much bigger game. And they're moving the ball into a place that none of, we're looking at, well, our jobs, our prices, inflation. They're looking at where do we want the currency of the world to be in 25 years, 100 years? How do we want the world to look? We're all missing that picture. And if you look at it, if you understand first how the game is played, what game has been played over and over again, what lessons did those people say, oh my gosh, after it's all over, that actually was pretty good. That helped us do X, Y, and Z. And you start to put those things together and then see where they're taking the world by getting rid of currencies now in countries and doing different things. You see exactly where it's going. And it's not a place the American people and, quite honestly, most of the people in the West are going to be happy with unless we're in total chaos and war. That's the, this is the, we're never going to, you're right, we're never going to be able to grab pendulums, levers, anything. We're not. We have too much we have to pay for, literally and figuratively, all the mistakes that we've made. There are games way beyond our control that are being played. But there is something we can control, and that's what made America always great in the first place. Her people are good. And if we lose track of one another, and we're we're this close to losing it, we have an opportunity right now to talk to the people who we think hate us and think they hate us, and we think they, we hate them, talk to those people now, because when the chaos starts, the, the, nobody's going to talk to each other. I, I read this, and, I, and, and then I read what's happening in the world with the currency changes that are coming and everything else, and I'm thinking there's no way, there's no way you can get people to buy into this unless they're so afraid of this, whatever this is, they'll run from that right here. Would we ever have bailed out all of the banks? Never. But we were told by Friday, all of this is gone. Okay, whatever. I don't know. You know better than I do. Go ahead if that's what it's going to take. That's how it will happen. That's how it will happen. Okay, so brought two things down from the vault hospital upstairs. Um, um, Let's start with this. This is obviously 
you know, cheap copy. Um, otherwise, it wouldn't be on the ground. Um, this is um, a copy of the Constitution, and there's something on the Constitution on all copies that you'll see um, if you if you uh, if you're looking at something that's real. Or, I mean, a real actual copy of the Constitution, you'll see this. You'll see little W.J. Stone right here. Has anybody seen the real Constitution or the real Declaration of Independence? Okay, so you've seen it at the National Archives. What's your impression when you saw it? What was your impression? When I look at a historical thing, right? Yeah. When I'm looking at a historical document in my hands, I'm just in awe of not only what it's accomplished, but the people that actually had their right. hands on it. Right. But when you saw at the National Archives, you see it. Did anybody else have, maybe it was just me that had this impression when I saw it. Was there any, anybody who's seen it at the National Archives that had an impression? Did you have an impression of, of it as a physical specimen? Uh, yes. And um, I was fortunate enough to see it just before going over to Vietnam. So I was in wow. the service at the time. And... <clears throat> I had uh, studied the Constitution in civics classes, which we no longer have, but uh, in high school I had studied it in civics. And then it kind of dawned on me because when I took my oath in the military, that was an oath unlike most politicians take. This had real life and death consequences as my father's oath when he went into World War II and my son's oath when he went over to Afghanistan. So I looked at it from the perspective of, Wow, this is what I am right going to defend. So right. that was my impression of it. So I'm so shallow. <laughs> I, I walked up to it, huh? The yellow glass. Yeah, the yellow glass. I mean, there's 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 a reason for there's two reasons for the impression that I had because I walked up to it and I went, I can barely read it. Okay, it's so faded and. It is partly because it's behind glass that's about that thick with a gas in between to make sure that it doesn't, you know, no harm comes to it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, But there's another reason it's so faded. Two reasons. One, for a while, they didn't recognize that the sun rays faded things and it hung in a window. And so, you know, for like a summer and it was like, um... It's kind of fading. They had no idea, okay? But the biggest reason why it faded is we didn't have Xerox machines. So how did we have a copy that was this exact in 1820? Do you know? An engraver went, this is how crazy this is. An engraver went and said, I'll make an exact copy. What we need to do is I need to take a piece of paper and make it really wet and put it on top and then do this to it and the ink will pick up on the copy, okay? So in 1820, stone, this is called a stone copy, uh, stone made 201 copies. The ink is gone. All right. And he made that. He took one copy from the actual Constitution, then 
he made a copper engraving of it exactly, and then he made 201 copies like this. The copy, the actual one of those 200 copies, there's very few left. Um, they're worth, I think, about $75,000 now, um, if you can find them. Then they took um, from uh, that those copies in 1820... Um, there was a guy who was writing a book, series of books, there's like 12 or 20 of them, um, of all of the original documents that Americans should have in their home. Again, no Xerox machine, no photographs, no nothing. So for the Declaration of Independence, they went and they, they took that engraving and they were allowed to make up to 2,000 copies. They only made about 500 to 800 copies. Very few of those are left. This one, I'm not going to take it out uh, because it's really delicate and we're piecing it back together up in the archive. Um, But this is one of those 1820 from from the the, uh, original engraving of the Declaration of Independence. Um, That's going to be, when that's healed and put back together, which probably takes about a year, uh, and framed, it will be pretty remarkable. And his, does anybody know anything about Fox's Book of Martyrs? Yes. What is it? Do you know? Uh, I do. Um, I'm not sure who wrote it, but it was written quite some time ago, and it's just a 1700s. collection. 1700s. It's a collection of um, people that have lived in our time that were crucified, or not crucified, but that were martyred, uh, martyred yeah. because of their their beliefs. Right. So it's a collection of... Um, the Protestants that said, hey, you know, there have been a lot of people that have died for Christ and have died just to get your, you know, Bible to you. It's three-volume set. This one's from about 1760, um, and it's in bad shape. And again, we're, that's why it's up in the hospital. Um, but um, it's a three-volume set, and this is what really cemented the early Americans to, wow, we're really blessed to have access to the scriptures and read them. I mean, any kid was like, I'm not reading my scriptures. They were sent to Fox's Book of Martyrs. Really? You want to see all the people who died so you can read that? And in it, there are engravings of uh, of all the martyrs and 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 how they died. So it's just a it's a list of all of their names and how they died and what they died for and what their life was like, and it really helped shape the Puritans, the the Pilgrims, and our founders um, into into what what we were, and I guess what we have to be again to be able to survive. Back in a minute. Jess, you want to give us a prayer? Heavenly Father, it's us again, your faithful servants, gathered here in this wonderful place to spread your message of unity and love and truth in this time of division. And we ask you for the ability and the strength to do just that 
as we leave here today. Love you. Amen. Amen. From the vault. Good night, America. The key to having a great day starts with having a great night's sleep, and I know because I have a Casper mattress. The Casper mattress was invented with two high-tech foams that give you all of the support that you need and guarantee that you get the best night's sleep ever. Time Magazine named Casper Mattress one of the best inventions of 2015. Casper ships for free in a box so small you won't believe it holds the actual mattress, making it simple to get from your front door to your bedroom. And you try it for 100 nights risk-free. They'll come and pick it up if you don't love it as much as I love mine, and they'll refund every single dime. Once you try it, you're never going to want to sleep on anything else. Having a great day by having a great night's sleep, casper.com slash Glenn. Use the promo code Glenn, $50 off the purchase of your mattress at casper.com slash Glenn. The promo code is Glenn. Don't forget, $50 off the purchase of your mattress, casper.com slash Glenn. Terms and conditions do apply.